Have you ever been away from home and gotten a letter? You know, you're, you're away, something, some reason, you've, you know, you're a kid at camp, seven or eight or nine, and ten, mom and dad sent a letter, ever get that? Ever been uh, sent off to boarding school? My, my oldest son went off to, to boarding school at his request, not at ours, and uh, while he was gone... It, it just felt like the right thing to do when he was headed off for school that, that first, uh, first time to send him a letter. And uh, is he here? He told me he was fine until he got the letter. I think it was more like, you know, in, uh, in 17-year-old ease. I was fine until I got your sappy letter, Dad. Something more like that. Those letters are very significant. They make a huge impact on us, don't they? There's a song called Letters from Home. If you're not a country music fan, I don't expect you to have heard it. But if you're not a country music fan, the question is really why? (laughs) Opening verses. My dear son, it's almost June. I hope this letter catches up with you and finds you well. It's been dry, but they're calling for rain. Everything's the same old same here in Johnsonville. Your stubborn old dad ain't said too much. By the way, country music's the only place where you can say ain't. But I'm sure you know he sends his love. And she goes on in a letter from home. And I hold it up and show my buddies like we ain't scared. And our boots ain't muddy. And they all laugh like there's something funny about the way I talk when I say mom sends her best y'all. I fold it up, put it in my shirt, pick up my gun, and go back to work. And it keeps driving me on, just waiting on letters from home. Letters from home can have a powerful impact, especially in a difficult situation, especially in a troubling situation. This morning, as we talk about a letter from home in this discussion of these prophets to the exile, I want you to get a good context for this. I want you to understand that it's a difficult time for the people of God. The people of the tribe of Judah are the last remainders, and the people of the tribe of Israel have been hauled away to, and disappeared. And you've got left this small tribe, this small group of Judah and Benjamin and a little bit of Levi and some stragglers from the other ten tribes, and they're being slowly but surely hauled off to Babylon. One group went about seven, eight years ago, and a second group has now gone. And this letter arrives as that second group is finding its way and trying to sort out what it means to be sent off to a foreign country as captives of a foreign government. Now, they're not immediately assigned to slave quarters or slave work. This isn't that kind of captivity. It's more about stopping the rebellions that are going on back home. It's more about sort of depopulating those who might lead a rebellion. 
That's why they've taken out in the first round a lot of the, the leadership, a lot of the princes, a lot of those who are highly educated. Those were the first ones taken out in 605. A lot of the money was leaving town. And then the second group that was taken out were, were, were the rest of the royal court and uh, priests and people who were involved in, in those areas of leadership, political leadership primarily, in the second round. Even some of the, the better craftsmen and people were taken away in that second round. And as they've arrived, they're trying to sort out what's going on. And God sends them a letter from home. It's about 597. And these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried up away to captivity, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah, the king, the queen, and the queen mother, and the eunuchs, the princes of Judah, and the Jerusalem, and the craftsmen, and the smiths, had departed from Jerusalem. So Israel is being depopulated. They're being taken away. And at this moment, Jeremiah decides to send them a letter. Jeremiah the prophet, if you're reading chapters 29 to 31 of the book of Jeremiah, you're reading a letter to Israel from home. It's a letter from Jerusalem to the people of Israel. I'm just going to read a few verses of it here this morning. Um, beginning in verse 3, I've just read those are verse 1 and 2 on the, on the screen. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisha, the son of Shaphan, the Gemor, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, when, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, the king, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away to captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Any question about why they're there? You just told him, for sure, I caused you to, this to happen to you. And this is the suggestion. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters and hus- and to their husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. Can I stop for a sec? Notice he says, build houses and live in those houses. In other words, this is going to take a while. You're going to be there for a while. Build a house. Don't try to live in a cave or a tent or some place under a bridge. Build a house. Establish your family. He says build gardens or build, plant gardens. Plant, a play, plant gardens so that your family might be sustained in this foreign land. And then he says give your sons in marriage, give your daughters in marriage, and expect grandchildren. So what's he saying? You're going to be there a while. Settle in, settle down. You're going to be there for a while. Verse 9, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and diviners who are in the midst of you deceive you, nor listen to your, to their, your dreams which you cause them to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Now, notice he sa- it says, You've caused them to dream these dreams. Did you catch that? Be careful of the preacher who always agrees with you and you with them. You know what I mean? If the preacher's not poking you in the eye once in a while, you probably need a different preacher. That's why I poke your eyes in the eye, just this job security thing. But if every once in a while you're not hearing something that's difficult for you, if somebody is not challenging you once in a while, if you're not facing some difficult thing, some sin you didn't want to face, some cause you didn't want to think about, if you're not once in a while at least being pointed in a direction you weren't sure of, you've probably got a preacher you're causing to preach to you in the way they want you, you want them to be heard. Be careful of the preacher who's constantly just bringing you the things you wanted to hear in your itching ears. 
He said, these prophets, they're not really prophets. They're just, they're dreaming the dreams you've caused them to dream. They're dreaming the dreams that you wanted them to dream. Be careful of those. Thus, then verse 10, for thus says the Lord of hosts, after 70 years are complete at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you because and cause you to return to this place. So how long are they going to be there? Would you need to build a house if you're going to be there 70 years? Would you need to plant a garden if you're going to be there 70 years? Would you plan on having grandchildren if you were there 70 years? Yeah, maybe some great-grandchildren, right? He's saying your family's going to be there for a while. Settle down, relax, be a part of that place. I will visit you and perform my good towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I have towards you. This is that famous passage. I reminded you of this some time ago. This is the context of that famous passage. For I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you future and a hope. That statement, that thing that gets quoted all the time, that promise that God is, is, is looking for an opportunity to bless us and to prosper us, that he has plans for us. It's in the face of this what looks like a horrible idea. Israel's in exile. God sent them, and everyone in Israel thinks it's a bad idea. What did you do? What's your problem? What's going on, God? Even Jeremiah says to God, God, what are you doing? The Babylonians are worse than us. Why are you sending us with those guys? They're worse than we are. Jeremiah will write an entire book of weeping after this, after this experience. Why? Because nobody can believe God is doing this. Ever had something happen in your life you can't possibly believe God is in? Ever run up against something where you can possibly believe God would do this to you? God would let this happen to you? God would allow such a thing in your life? Ever been grateful for it afterwards? Sometimes, huh? Sometimes we find ourselves doing the stupidest things and God lets something really, really, the consequences of our decisions come into our life. And we come back to him and we go, boy, I'm really glad that happened. There are even people I have met at the end of their life, facing death, have come back to, to God and come back to, to stand next to God. There are people who have come to their end of their life facing some horrible consequence of decisions they've been making their whole life long and facing that consequence returned to God and said, you know, I wouldn't want to die, but I'm glad it's happening because my eternity is secure. There are bigger things here than just my life on this planet. Israel is saying it can't possibly be the will of God for us to be sent off to Babylon. After all, Babylon? Come on. He's saying, yeah, I sent you. And it's part of my plan. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then verse 12. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. Is it a good letter from home? Is it a good news letter? It's kind of mixed, isn't it? You're just going to be there 70 years probably isn't good news. I mean, it wouldn't be for me. 70 years seems like an awful long time to be thrown into Babylonian jail, right? Come on, you guys. You're going to be there a long time. He says to them, plant gardens, build houses, pray for the land where you are. Pray that peace will settle on the land. Pray that Babylon will be blessed because in it being blessed, you will be blessed. How's that for a turn of events? Go pray for your enemy because as your enemy is blessed, you will be blessed. 
This is the opening of this letter. It goes on for two more chapters, and it, it ends in really the sort of the, the grand upshot of this all is a new covenant. God says, I'll write, I'll write a new covenant with you. I'm gonna, you broke the old one, so I'm going to sign a new contract. I'm going to enter into a new contract with you. I'm not going to write the, heart, the, the, the law on tables of stone anymore. I'm actually going to write it on your heart. There's going to be a transformational thing going on here. So, why send a letter? Why did I send a letter to my son when he was off at school? Why do you send letters? You have things you want to communicate, right? You're there, you, you think there are things that perhaps the other person, especially if you're a father sending a letter to your son, a mother sending a letter to your daughter, you, there are things that you want to communicate, especially if they're your child, that you, you want them to learn or you want them to understand. You're trying to give them some information. You're trying to help them understand the world that they've entered into. When I sent the letter off to my son, I wanted to tell him how much I cared about him. I wanted to tell him what, what to look for and how to, how to go about life in this other place how to see the world through the different lens of where, of where he was. When God is sending a letter to Israel, he's sending it to a people in exile who can't understand how they got here, how this mess happened to them. And he's trying to help them figure it out. Seventy years is a long time. He wants to make it clear to them that it's going to be 70 years. It's a long time for them to be in captivity. If we said today you've been arrested and you're going to get a 70-year penalty, what would you think? Yeah, 70 is life. If you're anywhere over about 15, it's life for sure almost, right? A 70-year, that's a, that's a lifetime. You're Israel, you've been, you've been given a life sentence. This whole generation is going to die in Babylon. There are going to be very few of you who live long enough to come home from this. We find Daniel at the end of his life, now an old man, saying, God, it's time to go home. But he's an old man at that point. And we figure he went to Babylon no older than maybe 15 to 17 years old. So by this time, when it's time to go home, Daniel's an elderly gentleman, particularly for his era. It's rare for someone during that era to live as long as Daniel did. So 70 years was a lifetime to these people. It's a long sentence from God. 70 years is a long time. They were being lied to. Because you have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. I read through it there, and this is in verse 15. They thought, hey, God has given us prophets here. We're good, we're good. They're saying we're going to go home soon. This isn't going to last long. The Egyptians are going to rescue us. It'll be okay. And God is saying, no, it's not. I've sent you there. You're going to stay there. Get used to the idea. Settle in and be accustomed to being in Babylon because you're going to be there for a while. Some of you are going through a hard time in your life right now. You caused it. Something else caused it. Someone else caused it. What I want to say to you is that these things don't go by fast. Most of us do not have deep, difficult times that disappear the next day. There's, a, there's some time spent there. There's some travel in those difficult moments. There's some, there's some lingering, not because we want to, but because it just happens that way. Our heart is breaking, and we have to deal with its healing. We've lost something, and we have to deal with that loss. We've struggled through and caused some kind of problem for ourselves, and we have to deal with that problem. We have to deal with those scars. If you think about that, the, the, the things in our life, when we have hit those low times, they never just drop down and drop back, pull back up, do they? We always kind of slowly walk down into them. Yeah, obviously, there are tragic moments that happen quickly, but most of the time we drop into them slowly, and even when we drop into them quickly, they linger a while. 
God is saying to Israel, don't, don't believe these people are saying that this will be over tomorrow. You'll be fine. You'll be okay. You'll be fine. When you're really struggling like that, don't you hate the person who comes along and says, you'll be fine. When you're just really in the bottom, you just, you've hit one of the lowest points of your life and somebody comes along and says, you'll be fine. This is kind of like, you want to just slap them? Do you feel fine? How's this? What you, want is, what you want somebody to say is, it's a difficult time. I understand they're gonna, this is a difficult passage of your life, and I'll be praying with you and hanging with you as much as you want or need during this hard time. That's what we really want, don't we? What has God said? That don't believe the prophets who are telling you everything's going to be fine. Don't believe them, because it's not going to be. It's going to be difficult, and it's going to be for a while. Seventy years, in fact. What's going to feel like a lifetime. They need hope. Wouldn't you need hope in that situation? Don't you need hope in that situation? They needed hope. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. You had gotten so far away from me that this is what it took to turn the corner. You had gotten so far away from following after me. You were following every other God under the sun. You had gotten so far away that this is what it took to bring your focus back to me. You know what the biggest risk for God in this is? That Israel will just walk away completely. They'll just say, fine, we're done. And just give up on God completely. So he's trying to maintain that fine line between them having, the, having to be really suffering as a nation under the deepest rebuke they will ever suffer or walking away completely. If you lose hope, you lose God. Because as long as there's God, there's hope, right? In a hard situation, we need honesty, don't we? If we've gotten ourselves into a bunch of a big mess, do we need somebody to come along and say, oh, it's not your fault. It's okay. It's, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's somebody else. If you've gotten yourself, if you've drunk yourself into a stupor, if you've been doing it for the last 20 years, your liver's about to croak, and you're, you're dragging yourself to the, to the bar day after day, do you need somebody to say, oh, it's no big deal. It's not your fault. Or do you need somebody to look you in the eyes and say, look, buddy, you're a drunk. You need to deal with this. This is one of the things that, that we, we, you go to 12-step programs. You know what you find out in a 12-step program? The one thing they will never allow to happen in a 12-step program is for you to blow smoke at them. You start going in there pretending everything's okay, those guys are going to get on you and get on you hard. Because you don't need dishonesty during this thing. You need honesty. You need somebody to look you in the eye and confront you. Now, can I say, if you don't have somebody who holds you accountable in your life for life, you're really missing something. If you don't have any accountability partners in your life, if you don't have a friend, a family member, somebody who will look you in the eye and say, that's a stupid idea, when you're doing something stupid, then you're really missing. There's a huge gap in your life. I've been meeting with a couple of pastors now for, I don't know, 25, 27 years, something like that. Those guys know my story. And those guys call me on, on my baloney. Those guys will not allow me to blow smoke at them. And when I try, they tell me so. And you know what? I do the same thing for them. 
You and I need that. We need honesty in our lives. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 21. Thus says the Lord of hosts to Ahab and Zedekiah, who prophesy a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. He's saying, look, these guys are liars, and I'm going to give them to Nebuchadnezzar. These guys are saying, oh, no, 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 you'll be okay. What they were saying was the Egyptians will rescue us. The Egyptians will deal with the Babylonians, and we'll be okay. Israel will be fine. You'll go back to, back to Jerusalem. Watch. And what God is saying is, no, they not. no, 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 no. I'm the one who sent you there. The Egyptians have no authority over me. I sent you to Babylon. We need honesty in difficult situations. Clarity. We need clarity. We need to ta- stop pretending things aren't what they are. We need to face with clarity what's, what are the real facts of the moment. For him, he tells him, it's 70 years. You're going to be here 70 years. That's clear. That's pretty clear, right? You're, you're, you're not getting out of here right away. So we need honesty. We need clarity. Those things are par- fairly parallel things. We need guidance. So here's what you do. He said, build your houses, dwell in the houses, plant gardens, eat the fruit thereof, take wives. By the way, he says plant gardens. You notice he doesn't say buy farms. What's the difference? You build a farm, you're planning to stay there forever. You plant a garden, you're planning to sustain your family till the time comes to leave. Do you get the difference? He says plant gardens. He doesn't say buy farms and plant, plant wheat. This is not, this year will be a good year for wheat. Invest in wheat. No. He's saying plant the things necessary to sustain your family in this foreign, this foreign land. Build a house, plant a garden. Take wives, beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to the husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters for you so that the next generation will grow, so that you will grow in this land, so that you'll multiply. So he's starting to give them some advice, right? You see how this is happening? Honesty, clarity, guidance, and hope. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You, and I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. It may be your children that I bring back, but they're coming back. It may be your grandchildren that come back, but the family will go home. There will be a time when you will go home. This is your letter from home. It's kind of a long one. Dad got a little carried away as he started writing. Couldn't stop. This is our letter from home. This is God speaking to us and saying, you live in an exile. You live in the armpit of the universe. I understand. Now, now I understand that some of the problems you have aren't your own. In this, in this same segment, he will say, no longer will they say that the father, the, the parents ate sour grape and the children's teeth were set on edge. What's that saying? It's saying that the, the family, the children are suffering the repercussions of the parents' activities. If you're in Babylon and you've been there for a decade already, have children been born? Are they suffering the struggles? Are they now in exile? Are children born in prison? Yep. If they're going to be there for 70 years, are there going to be other generations born? Yet children who had nothing to do with the reason they were here are suffering the results. Some of you who were raised in alcoholic families understand exactly what that's like. Some of you had drug-addicted mothers understand exactly what that was like. You know that on to the next generation, things can be carried forward. Not just your fault, but it's on you anyway. God says, I know it's on you, but I have something to say to you. This is the word. This is what God is saying to us. He is saying, honestly, guys, 
you got to deal with your sin problems. You got to. You know, we, we, get our, we get our mind into this thinking, oh, if I deal with my sin problem, God will like me more. I get to heaven faster or something. You know, I get, I get a rung higher on the ladder and now God listens to my prayers better. No, you know why God wants you to deal with your sin problem? Because it's messing up your life. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Deal with your sin problem. It'll get better for you. If, if you just followed the Ten Commandments, if you didn't lie, steal, cheat, covet, life would be better for you. If you knew that there was only one God and you only worshipped Him and you didn't try to make Him in some other foreign image, you, life would be better for you. If you didn't try to fake your spiritual life, life would be better for you. If you actually took Sabbath, life would be better for you. Right? Do you see that the commandments aren't a restrictive thing? I've said this to you so many times, I fear repeating myself over and over, but still, they are not fences. They are gates in the fence that's the sin that's wrapped around you. They're gates to let you out of the prison that your sin's caused. God says, honestly, guys, you've got to deal with the sin problem. You've got to deal with it. You've got to face it, accept it, deal with it. Honestly, look at the scriptures, see what it says, deal with what he puts in front of you. Period. God is honest with us in the scriptures. He doesn't lie to us. He brings us clarity. You know one of my favorite pieces of clarity in the scripture? When God shows up, the failings of others. If I were writing the Bible, you would have never known about Uriah. You'd have never known about Bathsheba. Because David was too important a character. If I were writing the Bible, you would have never heard that story. But I didn't write it. You know why that's clarifying to me? Is because God calls this man a man after his own heart. And this man has problems. This man messes stuff up. This guy is not stellar. He's not Mr. Super Spiritual. He blows it a lot. And yet God calls him a man after his own heart. You know what, you know what I love about that? Is he said, this is a man after my heart. He didn't say he was a man of my heart. He said he's a man who's chasing my heart. A man who's pursuing my heart. A man who's seeking my heart. He may not have gotten there yet, but he keeps trying. He keeps getting up when he gets knocked down. He gets getting up when he falls down. That's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to that kind of relationship. Clearly pursuing him. What are we supposed to be doing? What's our call? What's the guidance? Follow me. Chase me. Seek me. You will find me if you'll keep trying. You will find me if you keep seeking for me. If you put your heart into it, if you put your life into it, if you seek me out, I will be found by you. I will answer you. I won't leave you out there with nothing to do or no place to go. I will walk with you and bless you and care for you. He's honest with us about the problems we have, not because it makes God better when you stop sinning. Man, get this right. It doesn't improve God's standing with his fellow gods. There are no others. There's nobody for him to measure up to. But it improves your life and mine when we let go of the things that are killing us. He's clear with us. He tells us this life is going to have its ups and downs. I love Jesus' statement to his his disciples. If you're going to follow me, not always going to be easy. In fact, he says, take up your cross and follow me. Now, for the disciples, that was like saying, climb into the electric chair and follow me. For the disciples, that was a statement that sounded like death to them. 
Take up your cross and follow me. It's not always going to be easy. There are going to be hard days. I'm not always going to give you the answers you want. But I want to be clear with you. If you follow me, I'll lead you home. There will be this kind of a life, but I'll get you home. Guidance all through the scripture. You have guidance from what to eat to how to prepare for the end to how to face death. You have guidance for your entire life in the scriptures. This is in fact our letter from home. This is not our home. We don't belong here. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. This is our letter from our actual home. This is our letter, even in the most hopeless times, from home. And the Father is saying, I'd like you all to come home as soon as possible. I'd like you to all get home. It's more like a letter to a war-torn place because it's a Father saying, I know you live in a horrible time. I want you to make it home. All I really want is for you to make it home. And if there was ever a letter about hope, it's this one. If there was ever a letter that said, look at all of the circumstances. Look at all of the things that are here. Look at all of the ways that people go about this. There's hope for you. I love the story of David because it shows, shows vulnerability. It shows mistakes. And it shows that there's hope for a guy like that. I love reading the scriptures because I see Paul and Peter and they're having an argument. You know, if, if the scriptures were just all perfect and beautiful and everybody looked great, it wouldn't work for me. Because I'm not like that. I find myself frustrated with people and doing things that I don't want to do. And I stand alongside the, the Apostle Paul when he says... The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Oh, Lord, who will save me from this body of death? Who will rescue me from this mess that I've made of my life? This is the letter from home. Honest. Sometimes so direct we're a little nervous about it. Clear. Providing so much guidance. And always coming back to hope. Always coming back to hope. people of Israel are about to watch from afar but they're about to watch their nation collapse their city be burned their temple be destroyed and before that happens God sends a letter he says I need you to know I'm still in charge of this mess. I know you don't understand what's happening, but it's in the plan. My plan is to, to prosper you. Listen to what he says. My plan is to prosper you, to give you a blessing, right? My plan is to give you hope and a future. My plan is to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. I know you think you're being harmed but you're being saved. 
I know you think you're being damaged, but you're being rescued. I know you think this is hopeless, but I'm the author of hope. And the same letter has been given to us. The same letter has been given to you. That the things you face aren't an end in themselves. Because it's God who holds it all in his hand. Let's pray. Father, we long for the day when the new covenant is true in our lives. We thank you that in Jesus, we have hope of a covenant that's different. That's not on the outside. That's not written on tables of stone, but is written on our actual heart. Father, we pray that you would do a little writing today. That you would write a little bit on our heart. That you would align us a little bit with who you are and what you're about. Lord, we ask that that our lives would come into your path. That we would be yoked up a little bit together with you. That we might cinch down and walk with you instead of pulling against you so much. Father, Ultimately, we want to be yoked firmly into that harness and we surrender to it today because you're headed home and that's where we want to end up. We pray for your blessings, for your leadership. In Jesus' name, amen.